Welcome to Midnight Menu Plus One. I'm Ray Kanata. And I'm Margot Moss. Midnight Menu Plus One is a food lifestyle show. We are part of the family of shows on the podcast network. It's NewOrleans.com. We've got a great show lined up for you tonight. And if you're hungry for more Midnight Menu Plus One than we can dish up over the next 45 minutes, we have all kinds of extra stuff like recipes, guest gossip, sneak peeks into who's coming up next week, and much more. You can find it on our website, itsneworleans.com. Now, while you're there, you can check out our blog. You can sign up for our newsletter. You can follow us on all kinds of time-sucking <laughs> social media. You can get all that info on itsneworleans.com or just Google Midnight Menu Plus One. Tonight's show is brought to us by our friends at Petite Pet Care, dog walking and pet sitting. Loving care when you're not there. You can find out all about Petite Pet Care at their website, P-E-T-I-T-P-E-T-C-A-R-E.com or call them up at 504-300-9-PET. Thanks also to Monkey Hill Bar on Magazine Street. Check out their happy hour weekdays from 3 to 8 p.m., 350 well drinks and $1 off beer, wine and signature cocktails. Tell them Ray and Margo sent you. Now, each week on Midnight Menu Plus One, Margo and I invite a member of New Orleans restaurant and food community to join us, and we invite them to bring along a friend, a plus one. We, we never know who their plus one's going to be. Sometimes it's a neighbor, a family member, a friend, a fellow restaurant business colleague. Our special guest tonight on Minute Menu Plus One is Daniel Schumacher, the editor-in-chief of Louisiana Cooking. But before he gets here, Margot, what did you do in terms of food this, this week? What, did, what, what uh, food adventures did you have? Well, I went to a new week-old Turkish restaurant and hookah bar. Where's that? On Canal Street on in Canal. an old gas station close to... City Park Avenue. Ah, and, I hadn't um, heard about this yet. What's it called? Well, it's called uh, Haifa. Haifa, okay, Haifa. nice. Oh, like the yes. uh, city in Israel. I no? guess so. Is it H-A-I-F-A? Yes, it is. Ah, but they're Turkish. They're Turkish. Turkish Israelites, maybe, okay. Anyway, I believe well, the it. food was interesting. Good? Yes, I tried something called Esme. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but it was delicious. It was like diced tomatoes with parsley and lemon juice and cucumber and Turkish spices, which I don't really know what Turkish spices are, uh-huh. like which spices those are, but it was delicious. It was kind of like a uh, spicy, sweet salsa. Nice. All right. Um, yeah. So did you eat anywhere this week? You know, I, I did, but all I can think about is toast all the time. I just, I'm obsessed toast. with toast. Not, not, the, not the, um, the browned bread. I mean the restaurant toast that's going to be opening. Oh. Tartine's opening the second location. Going to be a different menu in the former location of Laurel Street Bakery, the Have original you, one. So they're not open yet? No, but I go by like three times a day and peek in the window. Yeah. So do and you think it's It looks be like they're ready to open really soon. Why they're are teasing they called me. toast if they have another place? Uh, maybe they're going to have some toast in this one. I'm not sure. I don't, really, I, don't, I don't think I've had any toast in the other one. I've had everything on the menu in the other one. No toast available there. So maybe this one will just have lots of, I don't know. I'm not sure, <laughs> but I'm excited. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I go, so I go by every day, and then when they're not open yet, then I go buy Octavia books, and I, and I, get, uh, you know, I get a book or two, and I, gotta, you know, I don't want to waste my time going down there. But, um, yeah, <laughs> so that's, that was my, that was my uh, I can't remember anything else I did all week because I just kept obsessing about toast. <laughs> it's time to meet our special guest. Daniel Schumacher is here. Welcome. 
It's great to be here. Thank you, Daniel, for joining us tonight. I have a question for you. Now, I read that you were working in New York City and moved somewhere in the South uh, that is not New Orleans originally. And I'm very curious how someone from a food writer from New York City would move to uh, the food mecca of the South, Birmingham, Alabama. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You know, it was always my dream as a child to to move to Birmingham, Alabama. (laughs) I'd heard these wonderful tales of, of of its food scene. And, well... When I was in college and I realized that I wanted to do uh, food writing and be a food editor, I knew that there weren't too many places I could do it on a national scale. There's New York, Birmingham, Des Moines, Iowa, Boston, L.A., and New Orleans. Hmm. Really? Like that, Des those Moines, are... Iowa, and Birmingham in there. Why yes. is that? Did not expect that. Yeah. So Birmingham has uh, Time Inc. and Hoffman Media, like two, two major <laughs> national brands. And Des Moines has Meredith, which has a vast number of of, uh, of other magazines. It, can I read you that a little bit? Sure. <laughs> yeah. sure. And, uh, and Des Moines has Meredith, which publishes a vast number of other women's titles for the most part. Okay. Huh. So... What, uh, tell us a little bit about what you were doing in New York, what your first uh, efforts were in the writing realm. Sure thing. Realm. Uh, when, I, when I went to New York City, I thought I would just jump into the largest pool of, of writing jobs and meet some of the most influential people in the industry. So I went there and had a position at Food Arts, which is a business-to-business magazine covering the uh, chef. It's a business-to-business magazine covering the restaurant and hotel industry. Okay. And what did you do with them? Was this your first job? Yes. Out of of college. And um, where did you go to college and where did you come from? Well, I grew up... Oh, sorry. Uh, That's a lot of questions. Sorry. (laughs) Throwing them at you. I grew up on Long Island uh, in the eastern part. Where in in eastern Long Island? In between Southampton and Riverhead. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Southampton is where I went to fourth grade and lived every summer there. My family lived there forever and generations. and Yeah, neat. So I know the whole area. Yeah. Indeed. It's a really beautiful place. We're a few miles from the beach. Quiet little fishing village. Lots of people who live live there year-round. Uh, potato farm next door. I mean, yeah, it is. Yeah. Carl Ustremski grew up on a potato farm uh, in Southampton, the <laughs> famous uh, Red Boston Red Sox. Yeah, yeah. He used to hit potatoes with a stick or something. That's how he <laughs> learned. <laughs> I made that part up. Is but. that? Oh. Uh, I was going to say hitting potatoes. Is that how you got interested in food? And uh, no. So no. I'm sorry. I'm I'm throwing you another question. But so you were from a Long Island, and were you? Did you grow up around food and your family have a strong food presence or? Yeah. You know, growing up, I, I always loved to eat. You know, growing up, I don't know any other kids my age who were just itching to eat mussels or lobster or all the other great local seafood. And as I grew, I became more interested in cooking it and learning more about it. And that was really what I think steered me, steered me this way. And did you pursue... Uh, 
f- it right away in college? Like, did you go to college, university, knowing that you wanted to do this? Absolutely not. Uh, I <laughs> went to the College of William and Mary in Virginia. Okay. And when I walked through the doors on the first day, I thought I was going to be a business major. Uh, after struggling and failing miserably at those courses after about a year and a half I decided that I should really do what I love not what I thought I should do and I spent a lot of time at the student newspaper and quickly realized that food was the only thing I really cared about enough to to follow it huh wait so you wrote about food in college I did for the student paper I, I do not remember any columns on food. I read my, my college newspaper religiously, and I don't remember ours having anything about food. Did you, did you start a food column there? Or? Well, before me, there wasn't much food. After me, there also probably wasn't much food, but I, I found it. I mean, students don't go out to eat a whole lot. They're eating, like, in the cafeteria, and they're eating fast food, and they're, you know. Bar you know, food? Bar food. Bar food, yeah. I mean, you know, Rich kids, poor kids, middle class kids, everybody's eating. It's kind of, everybody's just eating greasy food mostly in college. But you, you, were, you, were, you found a niche where people were interested in your opinions on local restaurants. I did. There were a few restaurants. There were a few cheap eats. There was a little bit of what you can do for $10 in your dorm kitchen. Oh, that's right. clever. Yeah. Which did very well for me later on when I was in New York working on $3 in my <laughs> well, what was the most creative? You remembered uh, something yeah. that you had What was the most about? creative cheap eat uh, you thought of for, for uh, dorm cooking? I think I lived on baked ziti. Ah. Baked ziti. Well, that's a step yeah. up from the ramen. I, I was, was going to yeah. say ramen noodles and mac and yeah. cheese. And, we, of course, we had uh, hot plates were uh, illegal in our dorm. We had to go use them in some common area. But everybody had them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think if it were now, I would have been eating ramen, those ramen bricks as sandwiches. But oh. I wasn't quite that far ahead of it (laughs) Um, so you did that in New York for um, how long so uh, from food arts I had a short and wonderful period at gourmet magazine and I freelanced at a few other places while working two other jobs to make the ends meet and after about two years of that I was quickly burning out and right then I got the opportunity to work at cottage living in Birmingham. Okay. And I'd been previously, and it's a, it's a really beautiful place with a number of very passionate people uh, with great food sense. So when the opportunity came up, I jumped on it. And you had already lived in Virginia, so it wasn't like a culture shock to be in the South. It was No. No. I, I, I really love the South for its small cities that are very close-knit and welcoming. Hmm. And uh, the food culture, um, b- the passionate people in Birmingham, but what was the, uh, what, what kind of things interested you specifically in Birmingham? Is there a strong food culture? Is it? Yeah, there, there's a very strong food culture uh, in, in terms of the restaurants and the farmers that, that work with the chefs and, and, and the local folks. But I didn't know that going in. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when I moved to Birmingham, I had no preconceptions about what life like of what life would be like there. Uh, so I was very very pleasantly surprised to to be welcomed into the community by the by the chefs and the people that I worked with, 
and the community. So you were going to college as as an editor or as just a writer or I was its assistant food editor. Okay. So I was I was working with the food editor. Okay. Now, can you explain to me what being an editor or an assistant editor means? Like what what that what does that look like? It really depends on the title, but for the most part, it's a lot of wrangling. Uh, we're you're, we're working with uh, writers and photographers uh, and that, that are usually uh, out of house. And then in-house, we work with the production department to get the, page la- the pages laid out, the, the test kitchen to get recipes tested or developed, Ooh. and then everybody else at the company just to make, uh, everybody else that makes the whole uh, process happen. So, so do you sit in a room like and, and brainstorm too? Is it like a lot of collaborative work and it is you know all the editors talk with each other uh, constantly ideas bounce back and forth from the test kitchen and all over and a lot of it happens in the office but a lot of it happens out of the office too like the your your brain never really stops working on it and uh so how did you get from birmingham to new orleans if you're loving the the south and what's going on there but what was your introduction to this city? Well, when I got to Birmingham, I was so much closer to New Orleans that I found myself here a lot more often. Mm. Uh, the first time was actually for a story. Uh, we were working with Cafe Reconcile and Emerald to do a story on them for the magazine. And just seeing what... Getting to meet the city after I had read and heard so much about it was a really life-changing experience. Hmm. Hmm. This was back in 2006 or 2007. And just coming here, just seeing the soul of the city and and everything that everyone was doing was really, was really, really touched me. Hmm. That's beautiful. That uh, I, And I think people come here and you either have an experience like that or they 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 miss it but you you're interested in people's stories right and and um culture of a place um so do you do you remember having one experience that stands out that that shines through and you were like i have to move there or was it just a feeling well that it was it, it was a strong attraction that that first time I came, but it grew every time I came back. Uh, after Cottage Living closed, I freelanced in Birmingham for a while, kept coming back, and then eventually went back to uh, Long Island. But kept coming back here. Like this was the like the southern touchstone that kept like calling me back. And it wasn't until I was here in in 2011 that I was here on a 10-day vacation after, after a very busy, stressful summer. Day two, I was like, I need to be here. Like these, I need to be with these people. I need to eat this food. I need to really find out what it's like here. And so you made your way here. You made it happen. And Did you, you get the job first or did you? I did. Okay, so you, I, so you got the Louisiana cooking job. I did. I was... Yeah. I was here on vacation, as I said, and after day two, I knew that I wanted to be here, but I couldn't make, I I didn't want to make myself look for a job while I was here because I was trying to relax. But the day that I went home, I 
looked and found this job, and I actually knew the magazine's former publisher, Romney Richard, huh. uh, who started the magazine 15 years ago. And six weeks later, I was here. <laughs> wow. Six, we- six, we- six, six weeks later, you living here. Yeah. Unpacked your boxes, and you were in a place. And well, I haven't quite unpacked my boxes. <laughs> <laughs> the boxes were here, though. All right. Well, it looks like it's time to introduce your plus one. Can you tell us who she is? Well, let me introduce you to Alyssa Munoz. Hi. Welcome. Hi. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks yeah. for joining us. Now, why? Did, who is she and why did you invite her? So Alyssa is one of my best friends from Birmingham, uh-huh. who is the the director of markets for the Crescent City Farmers Market. Yay. I'm actually the market manager, so okay. can you? Oh, sorry. <laughs> The market manager yes. for Crescent City Markets. Crescent City Farmers Market. Fr- Crescent City Farmers Market. Yes. Wow. And wow. how long have you been in New Orleans? I have been in New Orleans for about three years. I was born in Baton Rouge. Then we left for a while because my parents have wanderlust. Then I came back for college at LSU. Then I left again to go to Birmingham. And then I came back in whatever three years ago was. 2011, I guess. Hmm. Now, had y'all stayed in touch and you knew yes. Daniel was here? and He was actually sleeping on my couch that 10-day <laughs> vacation. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so you are one of those wonderful people living here that helped inspire him to come back. I mean, I don't want to say that for <laughs> sure, but yes, probably. Cool. <laughs> well, you enabled him to... to uh, sleep on your couch to have those experiences so that's pretty great sleeping on couches <laughs> is kind of a big new orleans experience <laughs> <laughs> um i was reading a um i don't i don't know what it's called because i'm not very computer savvy but it was like uh interesting articles on this site called Gourmetro. Oh no! Uh oh! Is that a sigh? <laughs> now, um, it, I was led to that, but it's. Can you tell us what Gourmetro is, and or why it's uh, not some what what no, you I, want it to be? I don't know. Oh no! I, uh, so <laughs> the Gourmetro was a, a blog that I started in New York ah. uh, just when I just when I moved there, and it, it chronicled my life and times back then uh you you will see some of the things that we mentioned earlier like the cheap eats and the and the recipes for ten dollars i thought it was fantastic and um witty um i did notice though it's not your name it is not what what, who skip and why well that's your that's your pseudonym that is my pseudonym nom de plume my my nom de plume (laughs) exactly (laughs) nom de nom de keyboard or whatever yeah Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Well, when I started at my college newspaper, there were three Dans, and the eldest did not want that, so I became Skip. So that... You weren't running from the law or anything like that. I was not like running that. from the law, so... <laughs> but you I, threatened I wanted to keep Big my Dan. options open in case I had... Yes. Yeah. So, okay. Yes. And how did you choose the name Skip? I didn't. It was, it was assigned <laughs> to me. Really? <laughs> yes. For real? Oh, yeah. By who? By by the eldest Dan Dan Miller, <laughs> yeah. Well, All Dan right. Miller just got outed. Yeah, he did. <laughs> outed in what way? Now, outed in yeah, that he made Dan skip his name or change his name to Skip. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> okay. I thought you meant there was some other scandal going on with Dan right now. The other <laughs> yeah. Dan. Okay. Breaking news. Breaking news. Dan Miller, working Everyone for the NSA. Knows. Did you okay. have a problem with Skip, or have no. you embraced it? No, I, I embraced it. 
Um, and I, so when, back in 2006, when, when I started this blog, lots of people were blogging, and I used a pseudonym because I did not want the blog to define me at that time. Um, I wanted to be able to tell people about it on my terms rather than, than have them find it. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. So then, was that liberating? I mean, you sort of had a, so you could have like sort of like a second personality that you could invent and, you know? Well, it, 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 it could have been, but I, I was not nearly as, as adventurous, perhaps, as, as I could have been with, with a pseudonym. So was any of the, anything else fictionalized besides your name in there or just... I, mean, I I would probably call the contents of that blog creative nonfiction. <laughs> creative nonfiction. <laughs> yeah, right. the, those events probably happened, and and there may be names, but you know, it's I, I may have taken some creative liberty. All right, with some of it. So, Alyssa, since uh, Daniel's moved to New Orleans, have you uh, seen any of the Skip persona? Or have so he that was pre your y'all didn't know each other then we did not know each other then because there you did some Gourmetro in Birmingham right I did a little bit just a little bit uh, uh, but it may have been pre our friendship yeah that was so how did you become friends in Birmingham what was it a, what, what we met at a beer festival at a beer festival we did. Great. <laughs> cool yeah we, um, we bonded over rhubarb <laughs> I don't remember how that conversation started because it was a beer festival. But I remember that I was supposed to then go to his office at Cottage Living to pick up some rhubarb. But somehow I couldn't get there, so the rhubarb went bad. But our friendship stayed good. Nice. Now, New Orleans changes people, inevitably. It's impossible to live here and get be involved in any way, engage without it changing you in huge ways. Uh, for the good, for the bad, or whatever. But So both of you, your friendship formed in Birmingham, and now you've both been here for a various amount of time now. You know, how, how different would you, I mean, how would you describe uh, ways in which Daniel, for example, uh, Daniel's changed since he's been here? What are, what are things that have happened to him you notice as a friend? I mean, obviously professionally he's developed uh, or whatever, but as a friend, how's he? Dan seems content here, content and happy. Um, More than he was in Birmingham? Well, when he and I were friends, was kind of a transitional period in both of our lives. We were both sort of freelance sort of stuff, so I feel like that's kind of a stressful time just in general. Um, so, yeah, and Dan is kind of a Southerner at heart, <laughs> but, but not totally a Southerner, and I feel like New Orleans kind of blends those things about very Southern but also has is not totally Deep South, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Um, so, I don't know. Dan seems right at home here. How, is, how has New Orleans changed Alyssa from the time that you knew her in... Uh in Birmingham. I would have to say that she also seems happier here. Uh, <laughs> 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 but no, she... No, like, drunker, no, like, no drunker. hair color change, like, you know. My that's too color, easy. My hair too. color changes <laughs> relatively often-ish. <laughs> We've probably both gained weight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that goes without saying. That's I, that's everybody in this room and everybody listening. Pretty and much I was gonna, area. to yeah. me, that's the criteria. Yeah. If you come here and don't gain weight, there's, there's something, something wrong. wrong with you. Yeah, Absolutely, you're, you're, you're like just, you're not you're enjoying visiting. life. Well, yeah, you have My really... first summer here, I lost 18 pounds, but what? that's because I work outside. Oh, in I thought you were going to say you got like typhoid or something. So <laughs> I sweated 18 pounds out the first summer that I was um, out at the market. 
So you, it was so oh, hot. so when you got here, you worked at the market right away. Right away, I, I moved. By the way, here that's to where I know you from. Well, I know you from a couple things, but that was the yes. main way that I got to know you. And um, didn't know you were coming tonight, but I, big fan of the market. We talk about sometimes in the show. So great, right away, you get, you get this great. I mean, in a, in a lot of ways, it has to. be. I mean, I don't know how if your job's the dream job, but it's a dream sort of kind of environment. Yeah, no, it's great. Think. Yeah, yeah. I, and, it was perfect job to move down here for. I wanted to come down here, but I was not in any position to move down here without a job. <laughs> So I decided I wanted to move down here, and then through a series of events, I got this job um, very quickly, and then I lived here three weeks later. Wow. Yeah. And you've you've been doing it for three years. I have. Out in the hot sun that makes you sweat off 18 pounds the first year. Well, I have since gained those pounds back, but (laughs) I was not quite used to that. Now, just to clarify for some folks, there's there's a bunch of different kind of market-ish things going on now, but the the Crescent City one is the one that's in Uptown on Tuesdays. Yes. And tell us your whole schedule. Sure. We're in Uptown Tuesday mornings from 9 to 1 um, in the old Uptown Square. We are Thursday afternoons from 3 to 7 in front of the American Can Company. And then Saturday mornings, we are at 700 Magazine Street, Magazine at Gerard from 8 a.m. to noon. Wow. And we have those three farmer's markets. And y'all have been established for a long time. I mean, what... 18... um, We celebrated our 18th birthday last September. So almost 19 years is when our first Saturday market started. There's all kinds of cities around America that are jumping on this sort of, you know, locally grown thing and all that's happening. But New Orleans was doing this a long time ago with y'all. Oh, yeah. yeah. With us. And even before that with the French market, which right, is like, right. you know, the oldest, oldest market. Public. Was, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So certainly. So what uh, what do you do? Like when you were outside in the sun and lost 18 pounds, what was your... Did you get position. skin cancer too? I mean, that's a lot of sun. No, but you should Sorry. see how tan I get in the summer. Um, my dad is Hispanic, so that's in me anyway. And I get like, I don't want to say embarrassingly tan, but kind of embarrassingly tan, especially my neck because I have short hair. Um, so I, like Dan as an editor, am a little bit of a wrangler um, as my job. So uh, we're wrangling. So we have the vendors, so the farmers and food makers and fishers and all of that that are there. Then we have the customers, certainly that are coming, who are fantastic, who want to connect with the farmers. So we're there making those connections for them and with them, alongside them. And then we have lots of programs that we're doing as well as part of the market. So we're trying to get moms to market. We're trying to get low-income folks to market. We're trying to get students to market. We're uh, students, both like college students, and we have kids that come through market where we do all sorts of programming. So there's just a lot of balls in motion, and it's my job to make sure none of them fall and crack, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a that's a lot of uh, uh, responsibility. I mean, a lot of interesting yes. aspects, though. It probably never gets boring. Oh, and no. there's so much drama, too, because you have all the... I mean, you could do a reality <laughs> show, I thought. I mean, I talked to Emery about this a little bit. I know you work with... Oh, you certainly Yeah, do. Uh, you know, you have all the... I mean, she loves her job, but you have the uh, you have all these uh, farmers uh, that are having all these personal dramas, and they're mostly small farmers, and they're really dependent on the weather and all kinds of funky things that are happening. Yeah, I mean... And who shows up that week and who's able to bring stuff that week and who isn't. Right, and, and customers, and yeah. it's, it's their livelihood. And what's interesting is... In your outdoors, if it rains, exactly. you're just stuck. If you it's the best freezing, product, but, yeah. if it's with everything. Um, so the customers and the vendors of farmer's markets are a very different demographic. Um, but they're meeting at the farmer's market, which is, um, you know, I think it's awesome. It's a chance for people to connect and to meet and all of that. But it also just makes for a lot of personalities happening <laughs> in one place at one time. 
with like tents that could fly away and things like that. <laughs> I've actually seen that. I want to ask Daniel something though, uh, just to sh- shift gears a little bit. Tell us about your test kitchen. So our test kitchen yeah. uh, is staffed with about eight eight uh, people who cook all day long. Um, they work with every day, Louis- every day. What? Uh, not just for Louisiana cooking now. Oh, okay. Uh, so they work with uh, all of the other titles that Hoffman Media owns as well. What so are some of those? Taste of the South, Cooking with Paula Dean, Tea Time, Southern Lady, Fresh, well, Fresh Style doesn't have a test kitchen. Cut, cut that one out. Uh, the Cottage Journal, and Celebrate. So where is a test kitchen? And what you, you give, you discuss with people you work with what recipes you want to put in, and then they... What are they doing? I don't understand. They're like trying it out and making sure it tastes fantastic. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but our recipes come from a number of different places. We get some from uh, fantastic Louisianians like uh, Marcel Bienvenu and chefs from around the state, other writers like Jada Cody and Baton Rouge. And some of them are developed by us. So, so do you have eight you have eight full time employees, eight full time chefs, I guess, or cooks that are that are working there uh, forty hours a week or so, or just all the time, yeah. and and uh, and just working on these recipes. And what percentage of the recipes are, are, that that are being proposed to them that they test are actually making into one of those magazines? Then, by the time it gets to them, most of the recipes are solid in theory, and part okay. of their job is to take that from the theory into the fact. So, so sometimes they may even refine what they receive, uh, what shows up in prints different than what they're, what they're given because they realize, well, yeah, you, chef, can do it that way or whatever. So they're but translating. the actual reader is going to exactly. uh, want it a little differently or phrased a little differently or maybe a little different proportions or whatever, huh? Yeah. Exactly. Just like Margot said, they're translating yeah, right. from the mind of a chef to the page so that someone who's picking up any of these magazines can, you know, have what the chef intended because going the inside of a chef's mind is practically insane. It, it's, a, it's a brilliant, <laughs> wonderful place, but translating that to written words is a, it's a it's a process. Now, um, getting back to writing, so has your food palette evolved over time? Because you're writing about food, and um, I don't I don't know how to phrase the question, but uh, has there been uh, experiences along the way that you, you've hated a food or you'd never even heard of a food, but you had to write about it, and then after doing this for so long, you've learned to love it, or do you hate it even more, but you have to write something positive about it? You know, I don't think there are any foods that I really hate that aren't ridiculous processed foods. Okay. Ah. Um, Anything that I've come across that I've been skeptical about, I have just kept trying until I found the nuances, and I could appreciate them. Like olives are a great example. When I grew up, the family ate canned black olives, uh. which are gross. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, Don't mean to a, diss your family, but I'm they're kind of gross. But they're kind of gross. <laughs> uh, but as I as I tried different ones. You can see the differences between the green olives and the black olives and the Greek sure. olives and the Italian olives. Sure. And how those olives can affect 
olive oil. So I mean, everything's connected. And right. the more food I've eaten, the more I've seen that it's all connected. Do you think writing about food has helped you enjoy eating more? Or has it caused you any anxiety because you're, you know, you're analyzing it so much? I do analyze it a lot. Uh, I don't think that lessens my enjoyment, but sometimes it lessens the enjoyment <laughs> of those around me. Someone like your friend here, mm. Alyssa. But uh, when my girlfriend and I are cooking and we sit down for a nice meal that we've worked all afternoon on, I will love what she's cooked and just pick what I've cooked apart. That is, <laughs> that, that is when, I, when I wish I could turn the analysis off. But... Mm. The thing I love about food writing and food overall is that it's such an immersive, multi-sensory experience. Mm. When you're cooking, you get the taste and the touch and the sight and the smell. And then when you write about it and you read it, it brings it all back to you and, and all those memories come to life again. Mm. Now, have you gotten into cooking school at all? Have you decided to take a few classes here or there? Or? I've actually not. I would love to, but at this point I've not. doesn't sound like you need it. I'm just wondering. If that would be I, something that would be kind of interesting to you. I think, I think anybody could use it. Right, There's right. It's probably hard to find a time for it, though, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. So you've never worked in a restaurant or had any uh, experiences like that? Not in the kitchen. Like I, I've worked in the front of the house and, and the, the service end of it, but never in the kitchen. Oh. Do, does uh, working in the front of the house or in service uh, inform your writing in any way? I mean, do you, or it's not really relevant. Did it give you insight into the struggles or give you sympathy or I don't know? It, it can certainly give you sympathy for the chefs and it's it probably hasn't affected my writing so much as it's affected my uh, it, it's uh, informed my ability as an editor and someone who has to work with people. Or mm. someone who someone has to work with you like that sounds terrible, but someone who like anyone who, anyone who works with anyone else can learn a lot from working in a restaurant in the front of house. I like that hmm. you can and it translates into a lot of other industries and fields. And I, I would imagine doing what you do, working with farmers and coordinating programs, and has a similar. You have to. Yeah, it, it doesn't feel that much different from when I waited tables. Just uh -huh. like, I mean, it, it feels different, but the, the pace of lots of people sort of, you know, I don't have lots of tables, but I have lots of different customers with the kids and the vendors and the customers, um, that kind of thing. So it's kind of when I'm on my shift at the market, like it's, you're, you have to be on all the time, happy, it doesn't matter what's happening, and that's a lot like waiting tables. And, you know, the customer, the vendor, the kid is always right. Ah, <laughs> yeah, and you're representing the establishment. Exactly. So and you have to and maintain, and you have right. to make sure that all those people are feel taken care of. And Right, because uh, for some people, yeah. I'm representing all the farmers they've ever met or the idea of mm. a farmer's market. Right. That they, you know, if they've never been to a farmer's market, sometimes I'm the first person that they talk to. So yeah. I have to represent all of that, farmers, other shoppers, everything. And the... With the vendors, a lot of times, to the farmers, I look more like customers than I do a farmer. <laughs> so I represent all the customers if we're talking about uh. something often. Yeah, I would think, too, that uh, part of the appeal, I mean, people are at the market for all different things, right? For health, for local things, you know, all that. But this part of the appeal, too, is a little more personal. 
in the sense of like you know you're going there and you're and you're you're the you're you're the customer of the farmer for this for the moment it's so different than getting you know your lettuce in the produce section at walmart exactly everybody feels like the farmer's friend yeah um and like you're the only customer there and you're the one that you know they're helping right then and they grew that broccoli um that you're Mm -hmm. eating and so and i think there's such a um interest in farming and agriculture and all of that so it makes people feel like Mm -hmm. they're sort of not being a farmer but that they're in on that like they know a farmer Mm. Um, they have a farmer friend they know where their food came from Um, so Mm. it just gets people involved with their food well uh, I hate to interrupt that but now it's time for a segment we like to call off the menu Uh, these are questions that you will not be asked regularly in the food journalism field so uh, prepare yourself uh, for I'm I'm, uh, Let's see. We're going to give you a uh, particularly difficult one, Daniel. <laughs> so uh, you have to answer. You can't plead the fifth. Come up with something. Uh, what meal would you wish on your worst enemy? <laughs> mm. Let me <laughs> one second with this. I know. I know you like to keep things positive, so we're going to force you to. Uh, I know it involved canned black olives, I'm sure. Oh, that's perfect. Thank you. I've forgotten about those already. I, I think about them so infrequently. <laughs> you block them out. All Anything right. else? Okay. So it's going to start with a spinach wrap. <laughs> a, cold, a cold spinach wrap? A cold spinach wrap. And a big one, too. It's got to be at least 12 inches. 14 inches. <laughs> On, <laughs> on that, we have <laughs> melted peeps, <laughs> canned black olives, <laughs> and overcooked salmon. <laughs> <laughs> nice. With some, wait, with shredded romaine lettuce. No, 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 no shredded iceberg. Iceberg, <laughs> nice. Yes. It's like an Easter taco. <laughs> it's like a, yeah, twisted Easter, <laughs> Easter taco in prison. You're like, oh, that's really rough. Okay. All right, um, Alyssa. Yes. If you could eat a meal with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? And it doesn't have to be their your, their worst meal. Any meal. Okay. Any I was gonna say, do I have to invite them no. to Dan's meal? No. No. It can be your dream meal, but who is somebody that you would love to break bread with, dead or alive? I mean, I feel like this is sort of a. Well, I have a few people that I would like to break bread with. Um, the two that come to mind instantly. Can I do two? I'm doing two. Yeah. Sure. Go ahead. <laughs> um, one, and I feel like this is kind of cliched or cheesy, but um, President Barack Obama, I just really want to <laughs> like, eat and drink beer with him and just find, I don't know, find out what's going on in there. Um, uh, yeah, so that's one. Um, and then the other one um, would probably be a writer that I love that I recently read one of her books and I thought I'd like to sit down and um, eat and drink with her. For some reason, eating goes together with drinking beer with me, but is Anne Lamott. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. I saw her speak in New Orleans in what? 2006. Was yeah. it so great? It was great, yeah. Yeah, I really, yeah. I'm, I'm feeling her right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would like to um, sit down and eat and drink with her. What's awesome. her new book out? Um, well, it's just, it's not a new book. It's just I'm rereading a book of hers. Okay. <laughs> Which one? Um, I can't think of what it's called right now, but it's the one where it has the sign on the front. Oh, I've yeah. read a few it's of them. Plan uh, um, Nine, no. Uh, plan. Uh, Was that Plan B? Oh. Something ah, like that. It'll Speaking come to me. of books, I um, were were you involved with a book? I don't know if you edited or had something to do with a a, a book from. I want to say 
Soon Yi was the woman's name. Is that? Um, I Kim Sune was the Kim editor. Sune. Was the editor okay? Yeah, Kim Sune was the editor that I worked with at Cottage Living uh-huh. in in Birmingham, and she is a, just about to come out with her second book, her first uh, cookbook, and I wasn't I was involved with helping her test some recipes, and I think she even printed a recipe of mine in there. Oh wow! What was the recipe? It was a peach tart to town. Oh, that sounds good. Describe testing, it for us. I, testing that recipe was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, so you have a buttery crust on the bottom, some fresh, juicy peaches, a caramel sauce, and then it is all, it, it's cooked in a, well, okay, let's, l- let's start over again. You take these juicy, wonderful peaches, and you caramelize them in a cast iron skillet with some sugar. Mm until they're nice and caramelized. Top them with a buttery crust and bake it until that crust is golden and perfect. Carefully, ever so carefully, flip it and you have this tartatan with the beautifully browned bottom, caramelized, almost like not quite blackened, but, but thoroughly cooked top, and all of this caramel sauce. You do have to be so careful flipping it though because it will destroy you (laughs) 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 because the the caramel sauce in there is probably 350 to 400 degrees oh wow now is your uh the cast iron pot that you use for testing is that a pot you've carried with you from new york or is it something you bought no this is this is an uh, we'll, we'll call it a new heirloom (laughs) <laughs> it, 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 it will one day be an heirloom, but right now it's it, it's in it's in its infancy. <laughs> and it already has is part of a, a recipe in a book. That's pretty exciting. It's a nice that will be a nice heirloom pot. <laughs> you got to inscribe that on the bottom of it. You know, it's history. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's so the the uh, the descendants you pass it on to will know that's the pot that I used for that recipe. Yeah. Yes, because if they don't use that pot, their peach tartatan will not have the slightest lingering flavors of bacon from Koshan Butcher. Nice. (laughs) Now, this may be getting a little personal, but uh, you mentioned your girlfriend. So Alyssa is not your girlfriend. No. And um, who is your girlfriend? Is, Is she in the food business? No, my girlfriend, Krista, is not in the food business. She is an environmental scientist for a shipbuilding company. Oh. Originally from West Virginia, was also drawn down here in 2006, and uh, has fallen in love with the city as well. Now, y'all met here? Yes. And how does an environmental... In environmentalist science I don't even know what you said what is she an environmental <laughs> she's an environmental scientist, scientist. environmental engineer oh it uh, sounds okay. like there's lots of that down here yeah yeah, yeah. Like, she basically what she did she helps the company find environmentally positive solutions to their waste problems so how did so. you meet her we met online and we designed our date so that we would have a very easy out if it was terrible <laughs> and and it wasn't no, so. what was that easy out? <laughs> we had we met up for a drink at Cure, followed oh. by sushi at Origami. All so, right, 
at any point on that Tuesday or Wednesday evening. A few like, blocks yeah. apart, yeah, right there on Ferret. Uh, it's it looks like I, I really need to get Really, <laughs> I'm just so tired. But <laughs> did you not say that? Did no. you know on the fir- uh, first date that you were going to ask her out again? Oh yeah, like it was it was pretty much instant. So, all right, yeah. And Alyssa, do you uh, know knowing Daniel for a while now? Did you uh, meet her? Right you like her okay? Uh, yeah, I was. <laughs> she passes the test. She passes the test. All okay. Right. I'm not you sure what the, the test thumb. is, <laughs> but I know she, that she passed it. Uh, <laughs> is Alyssa your oldest friend in town here? Do you know anyone else longer you've known Alyssa? Actually, I do. Uh-huh. Um, I knew. I'm sorry. It's true. It's okay. You know it's, it's okay. true. You know it's it okay. too. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's one other person I met in Birmingham two years before I moved to Birmingham. Okay. So she's she's from she's from here and and moved back just about the same time Alyssa did. So I, I did. I was really lucky to have a few close friends when I moved here. It, mm-hmm. it, it helped the transition a lot. We're gonna have to start playing a couple degrees of separation of Daniel because he keeps <laughs> getting. It seems like people are moving back or or maybe no, it's you, Alyssa, because he slept on your couch. Oh, so I'm the connector here. You're the oh. connector. <laughs> Y'all, it looks like, unfortunately, the fake stars in the uh, French Quarter ceiling is uh, are starting to twinkle, and we're out of time, unfortunately. And we really appreciate y'all coming because I know you're very both very busy in your fields, and so we want to thank you. And before we let you go, we would like you both to give us uh, – website information and um hours of the farmers market the crescent city farmers market once again and daniel will you please uh give us the website to louisiana cooking and how people can uh where they can uh find the fabulous publication sure thing louisiana cooking is published every other month and available widely available on newsstands around new orleans and louisiana its website, louisianacookin.com, is frequently updated. And we also have a tablet edition. So if you want to get back issues, that's the place to do it. Excellent. And Crescent City Farmer's Market is Tuesday mornings from 9 to 1 in Uptown Square, or I guess the old Uptown Square. Thursday afternoons from 3 to 7 in front of the American Can Company. And Saturday mornings from 8 a.m. until noon, magazine at Gerard. We also have a great website, crescentcityfarmersmarket.org. You can find us on Twitter at CCFM Tweets and Facebook. Well, our special guest tonight was Daniel Schumacher, and Daniel's plus one was Alyssa Munoz. You can find out more about Louisiana Cooking Magazine and about the Crescent City Farmer's Market at um, itsneworleans.com. Good night. Midnight Menu Plus One is produced by Grant Morris, and Chris Keogh is our technical director. And this fabulous audio quality that you hear is by PreSonus Audio Electronics. Makes all kinds of wonderful things. Visit PreSonus.com for more information. You can get in touch with us here at Midnight Menu Plus One by going to our website, itsneworleans.com. And from there, you can follow us on Twitter, find us on Facebook, sign up for our mailing list, get all kinds of swag. Uh, and while you're at itsneworleans.com, you can listen to other episodes of Midnight Menu Plus One and our other shows, Happy Hour, Mindset, True to the Game, Vietnola, Out to Lunch, and others. And if you listen to the show on iTunes, uh, please rate us and review us. It helps other people to find us. Midnight Menu Plus One is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. Until we meet here again, I am Ray Kanata. And I'm Margo Moss. Thanks. Thanks.
Labor Day signals the unofficial end of summer, but not the end of your outdoor projects. Lowe's helps you do it right and helps you save with Labor Day deals throughout the store. Shop now and get two bags of Stay Green Potty Mix for $12. And keep your lawn looking neat and trim with a Craftsman 2-Cycle 17-inch gas string trimmer now $20 off at just $119. Whatever's still on your to-do list this Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 828. Soil offer excludes Alaska and Hawaii, U.S. only. 